Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. I'm here. One of my writers in this case, Katie. Thank you, Katie, has written me a script. Die Glocke, the Nazis' anti-gravity time-traveling UFO. And I think I called this, did the Nazis at the, the original title for this episode that I came up with was, did the, did the Nazis really have this super weapon? A time-traveling UFO? No. Anti-gravity? No. No, they did not. They definitely did not. Pronunciation note. Die is pronounced D, although you probably already knew that. I didn't. The only reason I pronounced it correctly when I read the title is because I read that pronunciation note before we got started. Katie, you've, you've overestimated me. <laughs> oh, the format of the show, if you're new here. I've never read this before. We're going to explore it together. Let's jump in. We know the Nazis got up to some weird stuff. Some of it was disgusting, some of it was impressive. And if you can't tell the difference between those two things, please go and take your viewership elsewhere. Yeah, YouTube doesn't want you. <laughs> like that's like, you sometimes hear people complaining, be like, YouTube keeps censoring my content, it's outrageous, I'm shadow banned. And it's like, well, yeah, your content's enormously harmful. Like, this is really bad stuff. And I'm sure people in the comments being like, yes, I'm a but free speech. And I'm like, well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work how you think it does. I'm not even American and I understand that it doesn't quite work that way. It's not like anyone can just say any shit they want all the time. It doesn't work like that. The Second World War was a massive kick up the bum for all sides involved in the race to make bigger, better weapons, vehicles, and other technological support systems. Scientists and engineers were on the cutting edge of what was possible in the 1940s, and some were even going beyond that into theoretical aircraft, missiles, and even orbital weapons. Yeah, the Nazis. It seems like they spent a lot of, lot of energy coming up with some, like, really big ideas that were absolutely impossible like i feel like i made like at least 17 videos about the sun gun where they were like yeah yeah we're gonna put a giant mirror in space and it's gonna focus the sun's rays down onto the ground in a tiny beam and destroy cities and i'm like oh brilliant idea i mean yeah if that was real that'd be really powerful except it's like yeah but it's not it's just fiction it's not possible you don't have the technology you probably still don't even have the technology to do that wasn't there a james bond movie about that is that what the world is not enough about was about or is that the one about that oil pipeline there's one where they're building like some big ass space laser i've got a feeling it was in the piers brosnan era because it feels like a very piers brosnan era plot line doesn't it the giant laser from space what was that last one he made with the invisible car god I, like i like james bond i like the new james bond movies but the piers brosnan era with the gadgets and shit was dope german engineers and scientists were so highly thought of in fact that the u.s saw a chance to utilize their brain power for their own ends after the war and gathered up over 1600 of them during operation paperclip a secret mission carried out after the end of the war these brainiacs such as Werner von braun were pivotal in helping the united states in their space program with others being instrumental in the fields of electronics material science and medicine although the vast majority ended up working in aeronautics and rocketry and any horrific stuff they might personally be involved with was quietly swept under the rug yeah isn't that a plot point in that incredible for all mankind tv show the problem is with that tv show it takes them so long i feel like maybe this was like a covid thing or some shit like that but there was so long between the seasons that i'm like wait what happened what's going on who was that and i'm like 
I guess there are those recaps. But I'm still like, I missed everything. Oh, yeah, this happened. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the Werner von Braun thing was a major plot point in that show about how he's this incredible rocket scientist. But then one of the NASA scientists who's like working on, was it Margot? Was that the character who I'm, maybe is a real person in real life? But finds out it's like, yeah, 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 you knew about the slave labor, though, didn't you, Werner? You knew about those Jews who were doing all of that work for you. And it's like this important plot point. It's really dark. And uh, how did I get here? Oh, doesn't matter. Watch that show. It's amazing. Although sometimes it's not. Like, there's... I'm, I don't want to name them. But there's one person in that show who I just feel is not a very good actor. And I'm constantly like, whenever I see a scene with them, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and it's just like, it's so expensive. It's so well made. And I'm like, yeah, but this one person, why? <laughs> I'm not naming them. Do people know who I mean? Let me know in the comments if you know who I mean. Okay, so we know that there was some advanced stuff coming out of Nazi Germany during the Second World War, such as the first jet fighter and the first cruise missile and the first ballistic missiles. These, along with plenty of others, were known as Wunderwaffe, or Wonder Weapons, and formed a formidable, although, as we know, ultimately unsuccessful stable of military weapons and vehicles. We also know that they were working on a load of other stuff that never made it onto the battlefield, whether because of timing, spiraling costs, or because it was just not feasible to put into production. <laughs> yeah, like a giant sun laser. I guess it's not technically a laser, is it? That's the wrong word. Was the thing in that Bond movie? God, it's gonna drive me nuts that I can't remember what it's called. Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Never Say Never? <laughs> No, that's not it. That's definitely not it. God, I can't remember. Yo, ChatGPT, my good man, what's poppin'? So, I'm trying to think of a movie. It's got Piers Brosnan in it. It's a James Bond movie. And there's this big space laser thing shining down and destroying shit on the ground. It might not be Piers Brosnan as James Bond, but I'm pretty sure it is. If it's not, it might be the first Daniel Craig one. Which movie am I thinking of, chat? Tell me, my brother. Tell me. Don't forget, I love you. Hey there. It sounds like you're thinking of Die Another Day. Die Another Day! Yes! Die Another Day, not Never Say Never. <laughs> and that was definitely with Piers Brosnan, as I'm sure ChatGPT was about to tell me because he's a genius. We also also know that the Nazis were highly secretive, using underground factories and constructing networks of tunnels, some of which have only started being explored in the last couple of years. For real? How am I only hearing about that now? I literally make a living off this sort of shit. <laughs> Casey, we have to make a video about the secret Nazi tunnels that are only being explored now. It's literally the most clickable title in the world. We also, also, also know that Hitler's line of supernatural thinking led to some horrifying conclusions, and there were potentially secret groups working on things that we still don't know much about. Take this supposed Wunderwaffe, for example. Die Glocke, translated as The Bell, a supposed anti-gravity machine that could travel through time and might have been built with the help of some extraterrestrial technology. Oh yes, 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 this one's going to be a doozy. Glocked and gloated. So... Why is this even a thing? That's a question we can ask of most of the Decoding Unknown back catalogue, but there has to be some sort of evidence in the first place to get these stories going right. <laughs> I want to know what this is because it's going to be ridiculous. So here's the story of Die Glocke. It is so cool because its shape is kind of bell-like and also because everything sounds a bit more menacing than it is in the German language. See? See? My wife makes... <laughs> I mean, like, whenever I do a German accent as a joke or whatever, <laughs> she'll always be like, you know your German accent is just sounding angry, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good German accent because they always sound angry! It's, it's not. Germans, I find quite friendly, but it's... <laughs> I'm sorry, Germans.
I'm sorry. I'm making fun of you because I love you. It's not like the, the other nationalities who I make fun of because I'm genuinely a racist. This project, please don't clip that. And it's, it's just a joke. This is one of those videos in the future that'll get me canceled. Oh, and then there'll be that clip of me predicting that this video will get me canceled as I'm getting canceled. But it's, it's a joke. I'm sorry. This it was funny in 2024. And people were like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was never funny. This project was run between the years of 1942 and 1944, and the object itself was about 12 feet high and 9 feet wide, about 3.5 meters high by about 3 meters wide. Or to use my favorite conversion stat, it was about 2.5 Danny DeVitos tall by almost 2 Danny DeVitos across. It was made of a ceramic material that was about 3 inches thick, which is not much of a Danny DeVito at all. Inside the bell were two cylinders that counter-rotated at high speeds, and it was fueled by a purpley metallic liquid known as Zerum. 525. Due to its similarity to the properties of mercury, it's been suggested that this was some sort of radioactive version of mercury which had enhanced properties and may have been incapable of some sort of time travel. Ah, yes. That's what you think of mercury. Let's make it radioactive and travel in time. Yes! Author and researcher Igor Witalski believes that DiGlarco is actually part of a large propulsion system and was not intended to be an individual flying craft. Well, he's probably right, isn't he? Because, you know, flying craft need something called fucking wings or rotors or how else does shit fly? Yeah, those two things. Those are our options. Oh, I suppose you could have like a rocket thing, but that's got fins or like a... How does a rocket work? <laughs> no, a rocket works. How does that fly? I guess it's just got loads of power behind it, right? Like, if I throw a ball, it's like, it doesn't have wings, sort of flying through the air. Same sort of principle, right? <laughs> Except it's not thrown, it's as if the ball... Stop it, Simon, you're digging a hole. The main selling point of D. Glarker, though, was that it was an anti-gravity device. What's so good about that? You might wonder. Did you get inside and just start plunging up and down? Like on those planes that make you barf everywhere? I really want to go on one of those. I really want to go. That's actually like on my real, it's very expensive. It's like eight grand or whatever, but it's on my list of things to do in the foreseeable, like on my, there's some cool shit on my list of things to do. Like I definitely want to go to space and that's like half a million dollars. So that's a little bit out of my budget, but doing the anti-gravity thing is definitely on my list of like in the near future. Space is more like on my list of do before I die sort of thing. And it'll also be way cheaper in the future. And also, I guess, more like less likely for me to like die in a horrible space crash, which would be a hell of a way to go, wouldn't it? Oh no, that's zero gravity, not anti-gravity, sorry. But wait a minute, if gravity is keeping everything down, wouldn't anti-gravity just mean that everything gets further and further away from everything else? Well, according to a How Stuff Works article, anti-gravity, quote, involves lessening the effects of gravitational pull on an object. Okay, so things wouldn't just perpetually drift further and further apart, and we wouldn't be hanging onto the surface of the Earth by grabbing handfuls of grass or anything. I think I'm still confusing it with zero gravity, to be honest. The article also states, anti-gravity technology would revolutionize space exploration and energy production. It would slash the energy demands of travel and transportation. Okay, so putting in really simple terms, it's just anti-gravity is making shit hover. That's what, it's It's a hovery thing. It's about making shit hover. Boom, done, easy. I'm sitting here Googling stuff and not the person actually working on it in a lab, but let's get back to the story. A strange circular structure, which has been dubbed Hitler's Stonehenge because of its resemblance to the famous standing stones on Salisbury Plain, was found above a network of secret tunnels in Lower Silesia in what was Nazi-occupied Poland. It has been suggested that this concrete structure was a place to tether Die Glocke while it was being tested above ground. Unfortunately, 
Due to the radioactive nature of the fuel, many of the slave laborers who worked in the tunnels died from being exposed to it, as did the scientists involved in the project if they weren't killed afterward to maintain the secrecy of Die Glocke. It has been theorized that the project was overseen by SS Obergruppenführer Hans Kammler, a wily so-and-so who seemed to have slipped through the net as the Nazis' plans came crashing down. He had been in charge of secret weapons projects and had been one of the main people in charge of building the concentration camp, so he was happy to use thousands of prisoners to dig out the tunnels and construct the V1 and V2 rockets. Wait, this guy? I don't like it. You'll often hear like, yeah, and then he was never heard from after the war, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Can't we hang him already? <laughs> His fate, I mean, he's dead now, which is nice, but uh, it's always a shame. I'm like, yeah, they did, you know. And then he lives happily ever after in Argentina or whatever. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. Who was that, who was that guy that Mossad went and put in a box and took back to Israel and hanged? I'm like, fuck, yeah. Oh, I wish that was like much more common story. <laughs> like, <laughs> secret agencies operating in another country's sovereign territory for justice. Fuck yeah! His fate has been shrouded in mystery, with several different people giving several different accounts of his death in May 1945. However, it has also been suggested, most notably by Dean Reuter in his 2019 book The Hidden Nazi, that Werner von Braun tapped Kammler as a key asset for the US, as due to his position, personality, and involvement in some of the Nazis' most secret projects, he literally knew where all the bodies were buried. So, the US scooped him up and gave him a new identity in exchange for basically keeping all of his knowledge out of Russian hands. Oh wait, so he did just, sorry, I thought he disappeared. Didn't we say like, uh, it sli he slipped through the cracks? It seems like he slipped through the cracks to the US where all was forgiven. How many concentration camps and slave laborers did you use? Oh, there were many. <laughs> it's like, welcome to America. Look, and I get it, I know why Operation Paperclip happened, it makes logical sense, but it's also kind of shitty. Can't we just get all the knowledge and be like, ah, 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 we had our fingers crossed, off to the noose with you. I feel it, people are saying, you got such a thirst for blood. Yeah, Nazi blood. <laughs> and what are the Nazi bell? Maybe the US scooped that up too. Seems far-fetched. Well, let's talk about the Kecksburg incident. In December 1965, people in Canada and across more than six US states spotted a burning fireball shooting through the sky. It crash-landed in the woods of Kecksburg, a village about 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Locals reported seeing a bell or acorn-shaped object with hieroglyphic-like symbols carved into it before the military arrived and quickly sealed the area off. <laughs> I love how it's just like, yeah, yeah, there was a secret science project. We've got to throw some, like, mystical shit into it because uh, it makes it more believable. It doesn't. It's stupid. It's like when you mix your conspiracy theories together. It's like, yeah, 9-11, inside job by the US government and the lizard people. You're like, why is the lizard people involved? The lizard people are involved in everything. It just makes the whole thing more ridiculous, less believable. The Tribune Review ran an article headlined, Unidentified Flying Object Falls Near Kecksburg. Army ropes off area. An article called Acorn from Space, the Kecksburg Incident, written by Matthew Dinkle, quotes eyewitnesses to the event such as Bill Boulabush. He saw, quote, a 10-foot-long acorn-shaped object smoldering in the woods. The way it glowed, cracked, and sparked scared Boulabush, who says he did not get too close to the object, and when he heard people coming, he ran home. Volunteer firefighter James Romansky was also on the scene and saw, quote, a mysterious metal object buried in the ground and covered in hieroglyphics. He claims he was then ordered to leave by mysterious men in trench coats and that he later saw the military carry the object away in a flatbed truck. I mean, at first I'd be like, well, it was just a test aircraft or whatever, or something weird, or like a missile that's gone wrong, because that's not unusual. But the hieroglyphics being carved all over it is a bit weird, isn't it? That's definitely a, 
uh, what the fuck. While it seems obvious that it was probably a meteor or something similar to the Tunguska events that occurred, there has been much research into, into what actually crashed into the woods in Kecksburg with a lot of contradictory results. And again, I'll be like, yeah, sure, meteor, the, the crash-landed test aircraft or whatever, but what about the hieroglyphics? I mean, I just think they, they weren't actually there, because didn't we say the dude was quite far away? He was too afraid to get close to it, or whatever. And the other dude, well, he seems to have been a bit closer, but I'm like, maybe you just imagine that. Or maybe it's just, like, made up after the fact. Hieroglyphics are kind of, like, weird anyway. It could just be, like, a pattern that's on there for some reason. <laughs> it's not hieroglyphics. Why would there be hieroglyphics on it? It makes no sense. At first, it was reported to be a natural phenomenon, but then the trajectory of the object was mapped, and it was found that it wouldn't have landed in Kecksburg. NASA issued a statement about the incident, saying that after studying metallic fragments found in the wooded area, they concluded that a Russian satellite had fallen out of orbit and crashed there. Well, that makes much more sense, because, I mean, Cyrillic and hieroglyphs, obviously really different. But to some random american dude back in the day like in the in the countryside being like oh those look like hieroglyphics and it's like yeah mate that's russian <laughs> you know it's not unreasonable to think that most of the records they had from that time were lost however so there's no more detail to be had interestingly though a more recent statement from nasa went back on this conclusion by stating that the satellite's orbit was decaying earlier than the fireball witnessed and quote other analysis of the spacecraft orbit definitely indicate that it would not have been the cosmos 96 spacecraft. So, what was it? Could it have been Die Glocke out for a bit of a spin? A documentary made about this incident certainly thinks it could be. Mm, yeah, maybe. Or maybe that documentary certainly thinks that there could be money to be made in this one. Like, from the History Channel. Like, pretty much every History Channel show. It's just money spinning, in my opinion. <laughs> And it sheds further light on the mechanics of the Nazi bell. Apparently, a UFO crashed into the Black Forest in Germany in 1936. Hitler's troops recovered the damaged craft and, over the following years, managed to reverse engineer the anti-gravitational technology that they found aboard. The documentary team also took the idea of a bell-shaped time-traveling device to a wind tunnel test site to see if the non-traditional shape could be any good at achieving high speeds. And guess what? It was actually very efficient. About twice as efficient as a sphere. And surprisingly aerodynamically sound. Yeah, but a sphere's like that'd be like, whoa! It's twice as it's twice as aerodynamically efficient as a brick. <laughs> like, yeah. Because bricks and spheres are not designed to be aerodynamically efficient. They're just shapes. <laughs> it's like how many planes are shaped like a sphere? None! <laughs> Remember author and researcher Igor Wachowski from a bit earlier? He pops in to show the host, authentic Third Reich documentation signed by Hans Kammler, which talks about all the special projects the Nazis were throwing at the wall at the end of the war. When visiting the site of the Kecksburg incident, a replica of the object is on display. According to local eyewitnesses at the time, it looked like somebody took liquid metal and poured it into an acorn-shaped mold. There are no rivets, there's no seams, there's no weld marks, there's no fuselage, no windows, no doors, and on that raised up back area what really caught their attention were these unusual markings that were raised up off the surface and looked more like symbols and letters end quote nothing more was heard of die glocker after the military took it away but kecksburg is now known as pennsylvania's roswell and yes it has a festival every year and the one in july 2023 went on for three days honestly sounds like tourism tourism from you know and money <laughs> There's also a merch shop selling everything from shirts to shot glass. Although it has to be said, and I'm finally saying it now after having held it back this entire time, the Kecksburg Unicorn Acorn UFO looks like a big fat sex toy. It, 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 yeah, yeah, we'll put a picture of it up on the screen now. <laughs> For whom the bells toll. Can you hear that? 
I think it's the sound of time finally tolling for this space bell. Let's go back and pull everything apart that we've just said, like we're time traveling in some sort of butt plug shaped UFO or something. <laughs> Again, picture on the screen! We started off by asking the extremely intellectual question, why is this even a thing? And I managed to patch together some ragtag assortment of eyewitness reports, official signed papers, and a documentary to pad out the first part of this episode. Well, did you see through my paltry attempts to make this sound even slightly believable? The truth is, there is absolutely no evidence that Die Glocke was even a plan the Nazis had, let alone a fully functional anti-gravity device. Yes, because if it was, Operation Paperclip would have got that dude, they'd have scooped him up and be like, bro, make our cars hover. And shit, that'd be way more efficient. We won't need wheels anymore, dude. Hover cars. It's gonna be awesome! We'd have those, and we don't have them, do we? So we know it's not real. For all the other projects they were working on, there were comprehensive blueprints and paperwork. So for this extremely high-tech project to be carried out on scraps of paper, or just engraved on the inside of scientists' brains, is extremely unlikely. And here's another thing. You may not have realized it, but anti-gravity technology does not even exist now, never mind over 80 years ago, yes! And the reason it doesn't exist is that according to the scientific community at large, it's impossible. We'd literally have to unlearn what we understand about physics in order to make it possible, as that's something nobody re really feels like doing right now. So I think it's safe to assume that the Nazis did not manage to squeak out an anti-grav machine in a tunnel in the middle of wo in a world war using a Mission Impossible sounding item, Zerum 525. Yeah, agreed. Although, wait! Isn't gravity something that we haven't, we just haven't cracked yet? Like, I saw. <laughs> My scientific knowledge of this comes from the movie Interstellar, but isn't the whole part point of that movie? And I feel like I did look this up afterwards, so I could be right, but it's more likely I'm entirely wrong. Didn't they spend, didn't some dude in that movie spend a lot of time trying to figure out the equation for gravity or something? Because it's something that we theoretically should be able to figure out. And then we could use gravity, like we could make gravity plating and all that cool shit that we're going to need in the future for like our science fiction star Star Trek spaceships, right? Someone let me know in the comments. I suppose I could ask ChatGPT. Let's ask ChatGPT. Yo, ChatGPT, what's up? Got a really different question for you. So, gravity, right? Is there some evidence or potential for us in the future to be able to master gravity, like using equations or some shit like that, like in the movie Interstellar? Or is that just entirely science fiction? Hey there. Your question about uh, mastering gravity like an interstellar is pretty fascinating. Right now, our understanding of gravity is primarily based on Einstein's theory of general relativity. This theory does a great job explaining how gravity works, but it doesn't really give us a way to manipulate or master gravity in the way sci-fi movies often depict. As for the future, it's hard to say. Science is always evolving. Uh, for instance, if we achieve a deeper understanding or a new theory that unites gravity with quantum mechanics, who knows what possibilities could open up. But as of now, manipulating gravity like an in interstellar remains in the realm of science fiction. There's no current evidence or theory suggesting we'll be able to control gravity in that way anytime soon. Um, what interests you about gravity and its potential manipulation? Why did you ask? I, 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 I don't know, ChatGPT. I just, I just wanted an answer to my question. Got it, no worries. I was just curious if there was a specific aspect of gravity or its manipulation that you found particularly All right, all right. I admire your curiosity, but like, let's keep it tight, shall we, ChatGPT? So no, it's just science fiction, my bad. <laughs> This Zerum has also been touted to be the mythical Red Mercury, a substance that has many strange properties and a camera can apparently be used for everything from curing what ails you to creating nuclear bombs. But guess what? Red Mercury isn't a thing either. It's a weird hoax that refuses to go away. 
it doesn't actually exist. There is a red ore called mercury sulfide, but this isn't what everyone's talking about when they're talking about red mercury. I've never heard of red mercury. Never even thought, never even knew that as a thing. Should I make a video about it? Although now we've already debunked it as nonsense. So I guess not. So the impossible machine is being powered by something that doesn't exist, which definitely doesn't help its cause. It's also pretty handy that anyone involved in the project either died from radiation sickness or was killed to keep it a secret, but then if everyone died, how do we still know about it? Could it be that someone just made it up and tried to insert it into the historical record thanks to Hitler's known love of mythology and the Nazis' technological superiority? Stand up, author and researcher Igor Witokowski. Oh no, Igor, you've let us down! It's you, Igor! While stories about Nazi-created UFOs, alien technology co-opted by the Nazis, and Nazis and aliens hanging out in the middle of our, middle of our hollow earth have all appeared previously in print, some fucking how. It was Igor Witowski who first brought up the idea that Die Glocke was real to the mainstream in his book Prouder o Wunderwaffe, or The Truth About the Wunderwaffe, which was published in the year 2000. Witkowski claims to have found references to Die Glocke in declassified documents, transcripts, and a signed confession from a General Jakob Sporenberg stating that he ordered the deaths of 60 people tied to the secret project. Even if this last bit were true, we only have Witowski's word for it. He was shown the documents by an unnamed source in Polish intelligence and couldn't make any copies of anything. So let's frame that last sentence with a big old allegedly. Witkowski's claim about this wonder weapon didn't make too many waves at first. I mean, why would it? That was until Nick Cook published The Hunt for Zero Points in 2001. Is that about zero point energy? I only know about that because of Stargate Atlantis. I realize like so much of my science, so much of my science, uh, people make fun of me. But it's like a lot of my science knowledge comes from like watching sci-fi and then reading about the real science behind it. Because I'll be like, that's fascinating. Could that possibly be real? And then I'll spend like hours just reading Wikipedia and be like, holy shit, that's really interesting. An award-winning aviation journalist, Cook was the aviation editor for Jane's Defense Weekly, which gave him something of a higher standing in the credulity stakes when he came out with his book about Die Glocke, springboarding off Witkowski's earlier research. It didn't take long for his efforts to be poo-pooed, however, with some critics coming out with corkers like, quote, What is instructive about the book is the insight we get into how conspiracy theories seduce otherwise reasonable people from... That's from reviewer Kurt Kleiner, and Skeptoid's Brian Dunning says, Brian Dunning legend. <laughs> often comes up in decoding the unknown only in legendary context all we have in the way of evidence is a third-hand anecdotal account of something that's desperately implausible backed up by neither evidence nor even a corroborating account <laughs> ouch so yes no evidence of any evidence and no real confirmed mentions of this thing until the 21st century so what's next Okay, Hitler's Henge, we're coming for you. This strange concrete circular structure reminiscent of a complete Stonehenge was apparently what the bell would be tied to when outdoor experiments were carried out. Well, that's obvious. What else could this structure possibly have been used for? Was it, perchance, a support for a different Nazi UFO to take off and land from? This is seriously what forensic engineer Robert Sparling has suggested it was used for. I mean, come on, Rob, you see an elevated circular structure and that's where your mind goes? Wait, did we call this guy? Was this guy actually a scientist? Forensic engineer. That sounds like a like sciencey shit. Rob, why did you come to this conclusion? You'd look at you wouldn't look at Stonehenge and be like, yeah, alien spaceships. And if you do, you shouldn't call yourself an engineer. I'm not saying you do that, Rob. 
but this seems like a weird conclusion, my dude. Other more level-headed people have said it's probably something that was used to test more mundane aircraft such as helicopters, or even that it was the first part of an unfinished cooling tower built before the Germans decided to abandon attempts to make atomic bombs. One last theory is that it was purposefully created to be like Stonehenge, maybe as a monument to the occult leanings of some of the higher-ups in the Nazi party, or just as a monument to the party in general. I just saw the Oppenheimer movie. I didn't see it at the cinema, to my deep regrets, because it was shot on this uh, 60mm IMAX film. And there's like something like 30 or 40 IMAX cinemas in the world which can display this. And one of them's like five minutes from where I'm sitting. Like right now. Could be there in five minutes. And I didn't go and see it because I got kids. And I the last the only movies I see are kids' movies. And don't tell my kids, but I often just listen to podcasts while I'm in the movies with them. And they're like, Dad, did you like it? I'm like, I loved it. I loved it. I couldn't believe about this happening. And they'll be like, Yay, who was your favorite dad? And I'll be like, the brown one. <laughs> oh, yes, but I mean, it's 90 minutes, and it's like, it, it's very tedious for an adult. <laughs> Next. The lack of real people tied to this story obviously doesn't help its claims for veracity. The sidebar of having Hans Kammler as the project's leader is quite a good one, though, it was a as he was a complete monster. Here's a grim statistic for you. Under his program of mining the tunnels and manufacturing the V-2 rocket, approximately 10,000 concentration camp laborers died, which is estimated to be about double the number of people killed by the rockets when they were in action. The story goes that Kammler managed to save himself by handing over Die Glocke to the Americans in exchange for a nice new life somewhere, probably in one of those favored Nazi haunts of Argentina, Antarctica, the Hollow Earth, or the Moon. And while his fate is quite murky, it's unlikely that he managed to use this purported anti-grav device to barter his way out of anything. And would he have been the one to have it anyway? While he was extremely ambitious, and had a background in civil engineering, he wouldn't really have had the scientific knowledge about how this thing worked. The main evidence against Kamler giving up the bell is that if he handed over an anti-gravity device to the US in the 1940s, how come nothing has been accomplished in this field since? Wouldn't this technology have been utilized in some way, especially during the space race, to give the Americans an upper hand? It's like, yeah, how are we going to get this thing into space? Oh, well, we've got to use an enormous amount of rocket fuel that's incredibly expensive to produce. <laughs> Just a wild amount of it. It'd be like, bros, but don't we have that, like, hovering shit from that Nazi dude. Why don't we just use that? <laughs> and they would. Oh, they didn't because it's not real, is it? Why has any research that's been carried out at all into anti-gravity started from the ground up and not from a very handy already existing platform? Even more to the point, if the Nazis had this technology in a usable form during the course of the war, why didn't they use it themselves? Is it because Die Glocke did not in fact exist? Well, I'm thinking it's a yes on that one. So, all right, this brings us to the Kecksburg incident, which some people have conflated with Die Glocke being in American hands. The space acorn crash-landed in the woods, and a few people saw it before the military swooped in and hushed everything up. NASA originally said that it was part of a Russian satellite, then later went back on it and said it could not have been the Cosmos 96 spacecraft. Mysterious, eh? Well, it's probably not so mysterious after all. Many people across North America saw a fiery light in the sky, which was most likely a natural occurrence such as an exploding meteor or meteor bolide. And it's so high up, it's difficult for eyewitnesses to be able to tell where it's actually going, so unless you can track it all the way down to the ground, if it even gets that far, it's quite hard to be able to say that the light and the thing that crashed at Kecksburg were even the same thing. If something did crash at Kecksburg, which some people believe did happen, as there was some damage to trees and a loud noise, it might have just been a part of a meteor. As we learned from the episode on the Tunguska event, if a meteor exploded in the atmosphere right above the woods, it would have caused damage to trees, but not left that much of a trace. 
If this was the case, I guess it would have been a teeny weeny meteor or a fragment, as otherwise there would have been a massive amount of damage and a huge seismic wave. Damage could also have come from much more mundane sources, such as heavy ice or snow in the trees, which is, you know, far more likely. What I doubt crashed into the woods that December was a radioactive time-traveling bell running on red mercury. Yes, because Occam's razor is a thing for a reason. But what about those eyewitnesses' accounts? Hmm. Well, I think we can take them with a pinch of salt, as no other locals came forward at the time other than the couple that we mentioned earlier. Why did Bill Bullabush run away when other people were coming? Why did those other people not back up his story? Did me saying that James Romansky was a volunteer firefighter help him seem more credible as a witness? What if I mentioned that he had a criminal record? Instead, as per the Acorn from Space article. Some people at the time didn't even think anything had landed in Kecksburg, and that anyone who thought they'd seen a crash was just a victim of an optical illusion, and it actually landed somewhere else. This is confirmed by NASA, who stated that, quote, estimating the impact point of fireballs from eyewitness accounts is notoriously inaccurate, and also stated, investigations of photographs and sightings of the fireball indicated its path through the atmosphere was probably too steep to be consistent with a spacecraft re-entering from Earth orbit and was more likely a meteor in a prograde orbit from the vicinity of the asteroid belt and probably ended its flight over western Lake Erie. So, what about this documentary that featured Igor Witkowski and tested out the aerodynamic capabilities of the bell-shaped object? Well, I didn't mention what it was called earlier, as I wanted to make it sound at least a tiny bit credible. It was actually Season 1, Episode 2 in <laughs> Search for Aliens. Oh no! And it's fronted by the ancient aliens, dude! Ah, Giorgio, whatever his name is, so Sokolos. Funnily enough, the second result that came in when I typed in ancient it came up when I typed in ancient aliens into Google was ancient aliens meme generator. So I think we can tell where the internet stands on this whole theory. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Look at Doozy. It's the ancient aliens, dude. You know it's not he's not look, I mean, I was gonna say he's not even a scientist. And here I am, not a scientist making videos. But my videos are true! And better. <laughs> While Witkowski showed him a document signed by Hans Kammler, we've already mentioned that he was never allowed to make copies of any secret documents that he was allegedly shown by his informant, so this is just some general thing relating to special projects but does not make any reference to Die Glocke in any way. The show throws out many theories, but they're all so far-fetched and barely connected that it's pretty clear there's nothing really going on here. In one scene, Ancient Aliens Dude is talking to apparent Kecksburg expert Stan Gordon. Here's how the conversation goes. Ancient Aliens Dude In your investigations, did you come across any reports? Whether or not there are any people inside this object? Because in the Roswell story, we always hear how they carried away bodies, and that one of those bodies allegedly was alive. So is there anything similar in this particular case? I mean, talk about a leading question. Stan Gordon then replies, There have been very interesting accounts which suggest the possibility that someone or something may have been inside the object. <laughs> Bro, could you be more vague and non-specific? Really? I didn't see anything about that in all the stuff I've read. Do tell us more, Stan, tell us more. But there is no more because Ancient Aliens dude just carries on and asks a different question. Really getting to the bottom of this mystery, aren't we, in search of aliens? No, because they don't want to get to the bottom of the mystery, because the bottom of the mystery is boring, and it won't get people to watch more episodes. It's... It, it, come on. From just looking at this guy's face, though, it seems that Stan is just throwing a bone out there, merely made up on the spot, under pressure, and doesn't want to give too many details because he's just in panic mode. Bell End. Did the Nazis have a program of advanced weapons during the late 1930s and early 1940s? Yes! Yes, they did! 
Were there also some ultra-secret high-tech weapons on the list? Yes! Yes, there were! Did one of those involve using a made-up substance to power a bell-shaped object to incredible speeds that it reversed the effects of gravity and could travel through time? No! No, it did not! I also just casually threw in that the Nazis recovered a crashed alien spacecraft in 1936, which helped them work out the anti-gravity technology. There is no evidence of this, of course, it's just another nugget that I picked up from In Search of Aliens, where it says it comes from a book called Secret Societies and Their Power in the 20th Century by Jan van Helsing. Really? <laughs> That's a pen name, by the way. <laughs> no shit. He's a rabble-rouser, touting hollow-earth theories and the Hitler and Antarctica tropes, so I think it's safe to say we can happily throw this bit of non-information down a well and walk away with our hands in our pockets, whistling a carefree tune. Yes, indeed. Look. When it comes down to it, we have only really got Igor Witowski's information about Die Glocke, the primary sources of which are handily not available for us general plebs to access. Because of the description of an acorn-shaped thing at Kecksburg, this has been linked to Die Glocke, but obviously only after Witkowski and Nick Cook's books came out some 35 years after the event as nobody had heard of it before then. Could it even be that the space acorn of 1965 inspired Witkowski rather than the other way round? I don't know, but I do know that we can file this one away as officially decoded. We could file this away as officially decoded after I read the bloody title, to be honest. But it was a bit of an interesting ride, wasn't it? Thank you so much for being here. Look, if you enjoy this show, why not give it a rating on Spotify? It already has a ridiculous number of ratings, which is amazing. Like, it's always like 4.9. It's always at 4.9, no matter how many thousands of ratings come in. I was pretty blown away looking at how, like, I don't really look at my podcast stats or anything. <laughs> It's probably been a year since I even looked at how many people listen to this show. But I look at the number of reviews occasionally, because I have Spotify. And I'm just like, God damn, we've got like as many reviews as like big shows. Like big shows that I listen to. And it's like, wow, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Make those numbers go up, because they make me feel good. And like I'm making a difference in the world. Not really. I'm just here entertaining people. No one really thought this was real. <laughs> thanks for being here. I'll see you next time.